0: Hello, and welcome to the Conscious Buddy podcast. I am Estella, creator of the Conscious Buddy community. Conscious Buddy is a worldwide community that encourages us to make a difference to the lives of ourselves and others through connecting and collaborating with like-minded individuals who want to live a more conscious life and work towards solutions that create a better world. On today's Conscious Body podcast, we welcome Hilary Betts. Hilary has over two decades of experience in the addiction treatment field and has dedicated her work to giving back by supporting individuals into awareness, healing and accessing recovery and bringing hope for the future. She held a senior managerial position at the Priory Hospital North London in Southgate and played a key role in launching a successful survivor's trauma programme in the same setting, specifically to meet the needs of adult survivors of childhood trauma. This work was dedicated to supporting individuals by treating addiction and trauma. Hilary's industry experience in addiction and trauma, in codependence, and love-addicted, love-avoidant behaviour makes her uniquely qualified to meet the needs of the growing number of individuals seeking recovery from the symptoms of addiction and the underlying trauma issues that cause lifelong patterns of self-destructive behaviour. Hilary thompson Betts began her journey into understanding addiction in 1997 and started to work in the field in 2000 she received her Master of Science degree in Addiction Psychology and Counseling from the University of Greenwich in 2006. Also in 2006, she further trained in post-induction therapy and several intensives with Pia Melody of the Meadows in Arizona, USA in a child and trauma shame reduction to allow her to work with survivors of childhood abuse trauma. She also completed intensive training for sexual addiction with Maureen Cannon, also of the Meadows, Arizona, USA. Since leaving the Priory in 2012, Hillary's clinical work ex- extends to her private practice in Harley Street, Central London and Sandy Bedfordshire, treating individuals, couples and families and survivors workshops. Okay, so hi Hillary. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you for inviting me, Estella.
0: Um, I feel really, really privileged having you on here doing the podcast. I'm doing a series of podcasts at the moment that are addressing different modalities for addiction and mental health and using my own personal experiences um, and people that I have personally done work with um, to use these different methods. And I have to say, when I, on reflection, I felt more nervous doing this one than any other one. Wow. <laughs> and and I, I really feel that is because, and I sat with it this morning and I sat with my feelings around it this morning. And, and it was interesting because what I noticed was this kind of feeling of wanting to avoid it. And, and this kind of really highlighted to me that difficult emotions and difficult feelings are going to the core of what I feel is the, the, the essence of what has distracted me from healing the core issue, is to avoid it, you know, avoid my feelings, distract myself in some way. Now, I, 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 I would say that this is probably the most recent modality of therapy, if you like, that I've used. And I've called this particular podcast um, Trauma Therapy and Love Addiction, because I feel that love addiction comes from trauma and, and, and therapy for this has helped me to understand where it comes from. Um, and, you know, so going back to, if you like, how it started for me and how I connected to you, which was a year ago, actually, a year, I, I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure very uh, much around this time, a year ago, um, I was connected to you. Uh, and suggested and recommended to to work on trauma therapy for love addiction. Yes. And I would say that this has possibly been the most difficult area of addiction for me personally. Um, It has caused me the most amount of pain and suffering. And it has been ongoing. And I think what I have always done around my healing is always kind of dealt with how I'm feeling in the here and now and never really related it so much to past experiences or abandonment or childhood trauma. Mm. Um because I think I shut the door on that. I think I, well, I tried to shut the door on my past um, and kind of go, well, that, that's that been and gone now. You know, it's, it's there's nothing I can do about that. So almost what is the point in reliving that trauma or talking about that trauma or, Um, but ultimately that's where the pain came from. That's where it stems from. And until I recognised that or understood that, how could I ever deal with what was going on for me in my present moment? Because these behaviours and these addictions come from what I experienced as a child, which I would never have had the coping mechanisms to have dealt with um, as a child. And so I learned to go into a state of fight or flight. What I know now about trauma is that Um, ultimately in in order to cope with it which is a form of um, complex post-traumatic stress disorder is that the stress and the trauma that it caused me I shut down memories I in fact I found it very very difficult to remember what it was that even caused me any issues. In fact, yes. I probably would turn around and say, It was all right. My childhood wasn't that bad. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I can't see that being the problem. There are people out there that have gone through lots of worse things than I have. Um, and I never really correlated it to that as much as what I have done or have recognized through doing the work with yourself. And I'm very grateful that it was you because I've never really had any type of therapy where it's been put into a language that has helped me to understand but ultimately helped me to to feel like I wasn't going mad, you know that it wasn't just my thoughts and that were erratic and insane and that I was just crazy and that there was actually something wrong with me and I couldn't seem to fix it. Um, and that's that's a horror. In a way, you know, that's not a not, – well, it felt, feels like it wasn't a nice place to be because you feel weak in that area. So you're, 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 you're strong in every other area of your life. You're managing many other things, but mm. – particular area around my relationship or even the relationship with my parents and my children and even my my siblings I just want to run away from I want to avoid completely I cannot handle it um I cannot handle the conflict um I cannot handle the pain that it brings up it triggers me to a point that I've never known anything to trigger me. I can be in completely different situations and not be triggered in that way, but, you know, find that this ultimately triggers me and I just cannot handle those emotions. And although I haven't turned to addiction of alcohol and drugs in the way that I used to years and years ago, I still had the ability to completely distract myself away from my feelings whether that was through travel or um, dancing, walking, and all of these things are really good um, for uh, much better coping mechanisms than, than Mm -hmm. of course, drugs and alcohol. But they were still because I couldn't actually face those feelings. So it's been a bit of a journey. And obviously, you know, from a year ago of meeting you and doing quite, intense work and recognizing what the what the problem was um and then going into what was suggested by you to go into a 12-step program called um adult child of an alcoholic and of course your parents do not need to be alcoholics to uh, to do this particular program it's just coming from what's known as a dysfunctional family and um and and but i did you know my my experience was that i had an alcoholic father and um and there were many many things as a child that i that i wasn't um be that wasn't being received because of the addiction around you know and and the chaos ultimately that brought um into my family. And I think then when I went into a relationship, it was like I was trying to fix what went wrong in my childhood, in in the relationship that I saw with my mum and dad, which was turmoil. And actually when I go back to when I was a child, I wanted to fix it then. I wanted to make it better. And I I clearly felt that I didn't have power over that and I didn't have power over into fixing and saving my mum and dad. So I took that into my next relationship. I ultimately just desperately wanted to fix this relationship. And if I could fix it, then I would feel like I have achieved that role that I ultimately didn't achieve as a child. Mm. So I suppose... What I want to ask you or or go into the the podcast at this point with you is from what you've just heard from me Mm. now, why facing this and doing the trauma therapy is so beneficial in understanding how we can nurture the inner child or heal the inner child to become functioning adults to to lead a healthy and loving relationship with your parents with your partner and with with your children and why Mm. it's so important for recovery
1: I mean it's that's that's quite a big question really um and you know i think that for people that come from dysfunctional family systems you know um adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families is the full title so uh you qualify if your family was dysfunctional and with no addictions in it mm. and and um that that fellowship really came about before there was really much in the way of of trauma therapy um and and a lot of people, when we're talking about trauma, they think of the very abject forms of trauma like physical abuse or sexual abuse, and they're very valid, and you know, I work with that all the time. But often um there there's other forms of uh difficulties that happen in the childhood, you know, emotional abuse, intellectual abuse, um, religious abuse, uh, you know, uh lots of different kinds of things happen. The child's expected to be perfect, or the child is never good enough in the eyes of the, the, the primary caregivers. And this, this creates, over time, in the development of the child, lots and lots of problems. And I think just me being me, it, it spoke to me, the models that, I, that I've come to, to know and learn about it spoke to me that I really had to go back and as much as I possibly could remember and much as I possibly could go back and have a look at, um, it was important really to understand what had happened to me and to understand how it had affected my limbic brain, my survival brain that sometimes things trigger me uh, from the past, you know, just like a war veteran, CPTSD is trauma that's happened over a sustained period of time, and that all of these traumas are sort of locked in my my survival brain, in the back of my brain, not in my thinking brain. So I couldn't kind of think my way out of it. And I find that with clients, you know, often they're very functioning in life, but they can't kind of think their way out of these issues. So uh, the models that I use, post-induction therapy or the Meadows model, primarily to work with developmental trauma is, is all about going back and looking and trying to see what happened. And then we get a bit of an idea going forward of what needs to be resolved, how we can heal, what needs to be healed, whether it's esteem issues, boundaries, whatever it is. That That's, that's why I believe that for people that have addiction issues or these... Um, you know, very addictive relationships um, where they're either the love addict or the love avoidant, these pathological relationships, I call them. Sometimes it's really important to have a bit of a map of what happened and where are we going. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think that's, you know, when you use the word map, mm. <laughs> that is key. It, you know, that is, yeah. wow, what a kind of, pivotal um Mm. realization actually to to this because um we we don't you know it's like getting in the car isn't it quite blindly Mm. and kind of going well I've never been to this place before but I'm just going to give it a whirl and see you know I'm going to drive and just see how I get on (laughs) yes but if you don't have a map you know it's going to be a little bit of a of a a a windy road and you know you never know where you're going to end up so I think to have a map and to understand what that map is and where it's going at least then you can there's a safety in that you know um and and you know let's let's face it the road traveled is still an adventure you know it doesn't have to be oh well let's just get from a to b it is there's lots of discoveries on this road, um, lots of realizations and, you know, and you can go as as fast and as, or as slow as you need to. There's no rush, you know, in, in this healing process. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I really, really like about it, is it allows me to process what's comfortable for me. And I have really learned that through doing the, the therapy with you and mm. through doing the adult child of an alcoholic 12-step work is that it's that I'm, I don't need to go into self-criticism. I don't need to feel like I'm not doing enough um, and that I can take, if you like the foot off uh, the, the gas, um, the accelerator. I don't need to go a hundred miles per hour. Um, I can process my feelings in a way that's going to be comfortable um, for me with support. Yes. And I think that's really important, actually, because without the support or without the um, guidance from mm. somebody who is in the professional field, who has been in it for a very long time and who has... Um, lots and lots of training and also lots of experience you know lots of case studies lots of people that they've worked with to um ultimately help you to navigate through this
1: I think it's vital to have um you know a well qualified and experienced professional helping with these issues and I think that's a very good point to make Estella
0: yeah and can you can you tell me why? I mean, why? Why is that? Why do you think it can be? Let's say, could could it cause more damage? You know, if you're if you're not being guided in the correct way, if you're not being guided by somebody who has been in this field, you know, a very long time, would you say that it's about that? Or, I mean, what what is it that? that you feel is important uh, for people on this um, journey of recovery mm. from
1: trauma? Well, I think particularly with developmental trauma, you know, the, it's, it's really activating people uh, into trauma that happen when they're very young. So very oftentimes when people are activated or triggered, they regress and they you know they i call it becoming the wound they become five again or or they become seven or or they become 11 and you know i think that that has to be the work has to be handled sensitively i think it's one thing to to do the self help route and i'm a great believer in it um and you know to to you know certainly that's that's how i started off really reading self help books and trying to find out as much as i I could but I think that you know um a lot of people set themselves up as trauma coaches or um you know uh you know to sort of um unofficially kind of help people with trauma and you know as as one of my tutors once said to me it's not a party trick you know yeah. and and you're really taking people back to um you know to to a very destabilized uh decompensated place so you you know it's really important to to know what it is that you're dealing with that that's people who collapse into their wounded child the very young trauma almost sometimes pre-verbal um there's another kind of way the trauma manifests itself and this is there's there's the little little child, and often people know about that as in a child work, but there's often what forms after about five or six is a, is a kind of um arrogant sort of teenager. And this this part of the self developed to help you to kind of survive your childhood, it helped the little child to survive and And very often people think this is their adult part of them, and it's often not it's mm. it's still a damaged part of them, but often very contemptuous uh very angry, very one up I call it feeling better than and and um you know and and kind of helping that person is is difficult you know um often people kind of project onto me that I'm there. Um, you know, I'm their wicked mother or, you know, I, I, you know, I can see them regress into that sort of rebellious mm. teenager and that has to be handled, um, just as sensitively, I think. So, you know, it's, it's, I think, thorough training and going to somebody with, um, you know, uh, I've done about five years of training and lots of further training at the Meadows and, you know, I, I, I think it's important that, uh, you know, that if you're going to do this work, that it's important to, to find somebody that has um, specific qualifications for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. Um, I mean, can I ask how you got into this work? I mean, what was your sort of motivation yes. and drive to help people in this particular area?
1: well it, it you know i i was far 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 from this world um at the beginning of my sort of leaving school i i actually trained at the cordon bleu school in london and uh, i started life as a chef so it was very far away from from uh from this world that i'm in now but i um i remember watching beachy colkley who was a, a, a an a therapist, I, I don't know if it was GMTV or there's some sort of morning program or I was trying to remember the other day and he used to kind of um, interview people with addiction on the program and challenge them and I was both fascinated with him and wanted to be him mm-hmm. and I was also fascinated with the person that he was interviewing, this is in my 30s, i am I'm 64 now, and uh, in fact, it was reading a lot of his literature that helped me to get into recovery from my own addictions. I came into recovery when I was forty, so uh, about t- just over sort of twenty-three years ago now. And I, I literally just found my way into twelve-step um, fellowships, um, and I really started to understand about addiction but i was also very curious about what's under what was underneath that because i knew that i i didn't feel comfortable with me and i was my relationships were a bit um chaotic and 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 really quite uh, quite messy so i i came into my own recovery the self-help route and then i started training to be a therapist because i just i thought i want to know more about this i'd like to understand it and, you know, uh, sort of long story short, I ended up working at a, a, a charity rehab at first in Stevenage called The Living Room. Um, and then I went on to work at the Priory Clinic in, uh, in London, in Southgate. And during my time there, I went over to America, um, to the Meadows, a, a, a quite a well-known treatment centre in America, internationally now. Um, And they were looking at addiction and trauma and Pia Melody's work. I'd read a lot of her books. Pia Melody is a genius really. And her work on looking at, you know, take the addiction away and then what are you left with? I just absolutely spoke to me so well. So when I came back from that training in 2006, I brought it back to the priory and I brought it back to my work, uh, my my, uh, individual clients and, um, And it's just sort of grown from there, really. Mm, Mm.
0: Yeah, Pia Melody, um, Mm. I mean, I actually heard of Pia Melody before I had interactions with yourself. And Mm. so, um, you know, I read the book and I've listened to the audio as well. And it was like, oh, Mm. (laughs) I think I might be a love addict. Yes. (laughs) And actually, sometimes a love avoidant. Yes um and there was this push and pull and I recognized this push and pull of love addict love avoiding of giving everything of myself also demanding um this love that I felt like I ultimately needed and that was and it was the the thing that was going to fulfill me and help me feel better if my partner could just give me what I felt was missing, what I felt was needed and that, you know, this needed to come from a partner. And, you know, wow, what a journey it has been to discover um, that I can nurture and love myself. And, you know, I don't need necessarily anything outside of myself. Um, However, obviously learning and going through this stuff, it has helped me to bring in a sense of value to, uh, uh, and, and through bringing in a sense of value to who I am, I'm able to understand what my boundaries need to be. I, was, I think I was just riddled with guilt all the time. And, and this, this sense of guilt was almost like a cancer. I mean, to have any type of boundaries, you know, it was almost like, you know, I was told you need to have boundaries. And it's like, well, I feel an immense amount of guilt you know, when I bring in these boundaries, I feel sorry for this person, or I feel like I'm being too hard on them, or it's not being mm. loving and compassionate. And, you know, um, and that was a that I think for me, that was probably the most challenging aspect of my of my change, it was almost like, oh, it's easy to kind of not easy. I mean, it was still difficult to face my own feelings. And, and to do the work on myself, but when it came to actually putting into some sort of action to say what was acceptable in my life and what isn't acceptable in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, you know, really taking responsibility for that, you know, Mm -hmm. in the moments where I am on my own and feeling a little bit lonely, a little bit bored and a little bit dissatisfied and unfulfilled. Um, And rather than look at that, I kind of, have the ability to go back into old patterns to accept things in my life that I had probably been really strong around and, um, and, and kind of felt like, yeah, I can, I can do this. And then finding myself in those moments of, of boredom and, uh, and, and so so really understanding that as well, like, because I think that there are going to be people that listen to it that really relate to this feeling of boredom and, and maybe, you know, accepting friendships in their life that they know are not really nurturing for them, but they accept them in their life anyway, because it's better than being alone. Yes. How would you navigate that one?
1: (laughs) it's it's um I, I i mean you know i can when i'm in my um you know i call that sort of contemptuous teenager the adapted adult child you know and when i was in that uh, a lot of the time um when i was learning about all of this you know i was quite arrogant and grandiose judgmental contemptuous and um i i thought all of this loving yourself first and then you know relationships get better it all sounded like um uh you know sort of um excuse me i hope i hope this isn't a sort of unacceptable swear word but i used to think it was all sort of tree hugging hippie crap you know yeah. and that that's where i was back then you know and um you know i when i went to um do the work with peer melody i thought i just hope to heck she doesn't um make me hug a teddy you know that's where I was with it all I thought it was all a bit sort of you know cheesy and um and twee but but I absolutely have come to realize that um and I've loved I've loved what you've been saying Estella because you've you've got this absolutely spot on and it's run through everything that you've been saying is that until you can love yourself, it's it's actually really difficult. And I mean, truly love yourself. It's really, really difficult to love other people. And the first two core symptoms that we work on in, in developmental trauma, or it, another word for it, and, and, and everybody gets in a terrible state when I say this developmental immaturity, because often this is about immaturity. It's really difficult to have... Uh, friend friendships or relationships that are reciprocal, that are, you know, about mutuality, uh, about, you know, healthy give and take, It it's usually there's some kind of payoff going on. And this took me forever to get the hang of myself. You know, I, I really uh, didn't really know what people were talking about. I just kept on saying if I get myself a really nice guy, you know. Uh, and he was kind of adoring me. I'd be fine, um, but I, I came to realize it didn't work like that. So, yeah, the the, the little kid feels needy inside us. That the teenager, you know, uh, is is sort of um, a bit self seeking, self centered, arrogant. These these things have to be dealt with. Really, the first two core symptoms are, you know, dealing with the the, the wonky self-esteem issues and as you've quite rightly said dealing with the dodgy boundaries and the minute you get those first two in more balance things start to come right and then the focus comes back onto oneself you know what do I need to work on what am I what have I got blind spots about that I need to you know look at in me this is this is the helpful thing a lot of the the, the adapted teenagers That come to me think they're absolutely marvellous there's nothing wrong with them at all it's the other person Mm. Mm.
0: yeah that that was certainly (laughs) that was certainly (laughs) my experience it was completely the other person yes um and never me (laughs) yes (laughs) um i i genuinely couldn't see what i was doing wrong i thought you know i was being loving and kind and giving that person everything they needed and why couldn't mm. they appreciate that? <laughs> yes. And um, and of course, I would have a strop. You know, I would have a strop and feel unloved and unappreciated and, mm. you know, go into a huge amount of self-pity and, and all of those feelings. And then, of course, I'd feel completely guilty around that because I mm-hmm. would react because I felt that they weren't giving me what I wanted and needed. And then I would react to that. And then, of course, there would be guilt that would consume me around that and then here we are in the cycle it's a it's a never ending cycle it really is and and until I take full responsibility until I am able to drop the defiant teenager act which ultimately was my survival mechanism Mm -hmm. and that's okay and I think one of the things that I've learned to do hugely through this therapy work is be completely forgiving of myself, you know, because it was all triggered. It was all a result. It was all a a snowball effect of everything that I had come from Mm -hmm. and I had learned. And I didn't need to feel bad for who I was. um, And, or even need the approval of, of others. And, you know, it was almost like I couldn't seem to function in the world um, unless people liked me, unless I was, uh, you know, unless there was a sense of approval from others. Yes. Um, And I was just spreading myself out thinly, and that included myself. You know, I couldn't – there was no strength really within me. No wonder I would hit absolute brick walls or I would lose um, – a sense of who I was. Um, I was never able to be consistent with what I was doing, because I would ultimately crash and burn and find myself then in a position of severe anxiety, fear. Um, I couldn't, I just couldn't face the world, you know, and this was just a cycle. And it was Rather than beating myself up in those moments, what I learned to do was be forgiving of myself in those moments, you know, and and kind of go, okay, this is okay. You know, you need time out. And and learning not to feel guilty to say to people, look, I, I just can't manage it this week. I'm, you know, I'm feeling like this and I'm feeling like that. And of course, if you are a therapist, you are going to be dealing with people like, this as well all the time that possibly cancel appointments and and avoid turning up to therapy and avoid doing the work that they need to do um because they are faced with these really uncomfortable feelings and they and they just cannot manage to do anything else yes go on Yeah. How would you sort of, uh, even as a therapist, I mean, uh, from my personal experience for me, I mean, okay, I was ready to show up and I was ready to do the work. And I do feel that there has been a level of consistency in in me doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, But how would you deal with, you know, how do you manage that when people, you know, would you say that they're just not ready? Or, you know, I mean, uh, because obviously, even as a therapist, you have to have some sense of boundaries you have to know when people are ready to do the work and when they're not ready to do the work and and also bringing your own boundaries to that which of course are a great example for anybody that's coming to you um ultimately you're teaching your clients boundaries by
1: having your own so yes i think it's 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 a it's been interesting having the experience over over sort of two decades now of working with people and it's it's great to have that experience I must say it's very helpful now it's great to have my training but I think you know the 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 long experience now particularly my my sort of 10 years at the Priory Clinic I worked with some of the best professionals in this country and you know it it was uh it was a very blessed time because I learned lots of uh, lots of really uh, very sort of ethical ways of working. In the addiction world, you know, one has to speak quite directly and plainly to people because really when people come for treatment, they're, they're quite literally dying on their feet, usually, whatever the addiction is. Um, and I think, you know, that sometimes not dying just physically but emotionally and I believe spiritually Mm. and so one has to speak directly to people and and be directive so um I, I I'm I'm sort of known for that really I do try and speak plainly to people about what I see the problem is and sometimes people aren't always ready to hear hear the message about that I try and give people what I think is is the problem and the solution, and I hope they go away and think about it. And when when they're ready, come back. It, it, it's one of the strange things about addiction. And um, we often say it's not for people that uh, uh, need it; it's for people that want it. So um, and so that's been my experience really. Sometimes people come, they have one session, and I, I think they probably don't like what they hear so much, and and they go. Um, Sometimes people are in their adapted child and that adapted child is is like the gatekeeper and is blocking them from getting to their functioning adult, their true self, their authentic self. And so, you know, it always tells me that, you know, the trauma is great and it's just not the right time yet. But I do believe that, you know, when people break through that into their woundedness, that very painful Um, wounded child that's that's a good time for them to come when they're in the adapted teenager part it's what I call deadness they're often look fantastic and sound great I meet very many high profile people I mean it all looks rather marvelous but actually sometimes people are presenting a very fake self Uh, they've got lots of masks and I think they believe that they're that person yeah. But when that fails, when the adapted fails and people find themselves in their wounded child, that's usually when people will come and they really are kind of willing to go to any lengths, however painful it all is. They, If they can see some hope, uh, if they can see a way through and out the other side, people will come and they will commit to the work, and And certainly I believe that's what happened with you Estella is that you consistently showed up to your therapy every single week Mm. Uh, and and I think that's what you know when people get into that commitment that's when you know the fruits happen the, the results happen and you see this model isn't just about knowing what your problem is and then that's it it's all done and dusted it's what we call a healing and reparenting model so it's about learning how to heal what what does that look like and and how to reparent the self so you know i mean i'm i'm a i'm a mother and a grandmother now and i thought gosh well i do know how to parent i'm very good at it but i don't think i applied it to myself at all a lot mm. of the time so i had to learn about caring for myself loving myself setting healthy boundaries not overworking you know um just really in, in the areas of affirming myself, nurturing myself and setting limits, boundaries, that's that's the healing and reparenting model in action.
0: Yeah, definitely, because that's the thing, you know, we can say to a child, you're amazing, mm. That look at what you've done, that's great, mm. you know, and it's like, hold on, when did I say that to myself last, yeah. you know? and and and, yeah, it's a very interesting thing. we don't give ourselves this love and care and nurturing that mm. we find easy to give to others, especially if you're a parent and you're giving it to your children or your grandchildren and it's but yet yeah, yeah. And, and and again, and that comes back to not being in our authentic selves, doesn't it because it kind of it then flips into the into the pleasing it, almost and mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to just very quickly kind of say that because I said obviously you have the people that are not really ready for therapy and they avoid it but you equally have the people that also can turn up as the perfect model students and would do exactly what they're told to do um, but yet actually they're not really being honest they're not maybe really being honest about how they're feeling or what they're what's really triggering them Mm. Um, and so they might go away from therapy and kind of talk about it and get upset about it and then kind of come back on and sort of you know then go oh yeah this is great or or whatever and I know that that was me at one stage I mean that that, once everything broke down and like you say kind of I entered into the core pain of my inner child I was I I was like I'm done with putting on these masks you know it's tiring it's not how I want to live my life anymore Um, but I know that, that I was that and I suppose as a therapist maybe you can spot that quite easily anyway <laughs> yes
1: yes I can and um, you know it, it's uh, it it's it is the most I think challenging part of the work really is trying to you know to get past that child and you know it it's 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 one has to well, I recognize it in myself, obviously, you know, I've had to overcome these things myself, but it's, I still think that when somebody is in there adapted, that they're, they're still a wounded child, that's still somebody who is, is got damage. And so, you know, it's, it's like coming up against a, an angry teenager. Uh, and I, I, I try and handle it the best way that I can. But until that crack sometimes it's extraordinarily difficult to um to help people and they're, if they're very good at presenting themselves uh, um as sort of hail fellow well met you know this sort of you know uh, i kind of know everything people it's difficult for people to be teachable to have humility to be able to receive uh what it is that that needs to be done so sometimes unfortunately people need to go out and have a bit more pain before they Mm. Uh, They can be open to open to the healing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, And just to kind of, I suppose, if you like, just kind of wrap it up. (laughs) Mm. If it's at all possible. (laughs) Yes. Are you able to define love addiction?
1: Well, I think we've talked about the little wounded child. This this is usually wounding that happens from birth till about five or six. And this is because the child's brain isn't developed enough to understand what's happening and the child can't really protect themselves in any real way. Often I find people that have been abandoned in this age, in these ages, either whether it's physically or emotionally by one or both parents. This child's like a little kind of, I hate to use this expression, but they're like a little sort of needy bunny boiler in adult life. They're always on the hunt for this kind of often very idealistic love. Um, and they often meet people who are totally uh, unable to give them that love. they sort of almost, you know, it's like Disney movie love. Um, and, um, you know, trying to uh, get people to see that they've chosen somebody that can't possibly give them this um, is like taking a big bag of sweeties off a kid. Um, people get very addicted to fantasy. Mm. And that's their drug of choice. Really, is the fantasy. It's mm. not usually about the person that they're even with. They don't see that clearly. That's that's where it connects mm. to trauma and and what the, the the wounded child has learned about attachment. The adapted child, the teenager child, is usually the part that's avoidant. So they often are very very seductive and very good at getting into relationships and sound like you've met. Um, you know, Wonder Woman or or Superman, the Knight in Shining Armor, or the you know the Princess from the Castle. But often, uh, once once you're into the relationship, they uh, they kind of do a horrible switch, and 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 their perception is distorted. But they think that you're trying to screw them over, or you know you're irritating them when when you're eating because you're making clicking noises with your teeth. They do all of these. They go behind a wall of resentment and push away, mm. and and usually they'll sabotage, avoid distance, in 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 the most horrible way. They'll they're they're usually quite sort of uh, you know cruel with it, and they're they it's just because they've got a the terrible fear of intimacy, a terrible terrible fear of intimacy. They often fear being abandoned unconsciously, but usually they push people away in relationships and it leads to a terrible sort of like toxic dance these two mm. people so one to heal one has to work on childhood and and grow a, a good sense of the functioning adult that's what recovery from trauma is all about from developmental trauma it's about growing up and being a functioning adult And not right at the beginning of this podcast, you talked about recreating childhood and trying to get our parents to love us. That's what love addiction's about. And it doesn't work. We're conditioned. We have to unlearn the conditioning and and love ourselves first and bring that person to a relationship with somebody that's also done some healing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I... um... When you were speaking then and what came up for me is around the kind of the inner child. It was almost like I didn't want to leave my inner child. And I used to kind of use expressions like, you know, don't grow up. It's a trap. You know, I think there's a a quote out there that says that. And, um, you know, and so I kind of stayed in this place of being an inner child that kind of felt like it allowed me to have freedom. There was some defiancy around that. There was some, you know, back chatting and, and, and what have you. But actually, what I understand now as a functioning adult is that it's not about growing up and just leading this really boring life. And now I need to because that's how I perceived it, you know, that I now need to, you know, just stay in and do the washing and and (laughs) whatever it is. Um, It just means as a functioning adult, I'm just not I'm just not in a place of avoidance. I'm being in acceptance of things in my life that need to be taken seriously, that need to be faced, that need to be addressed Mm. without running away from it. And actually, this allows me to be this beautiful, innocent um, Mm. idea of a child. I don't need to lose my sense of awe and wonder in the world Um, because by acting in my functioning adult and not avoiding my feelings... I'm able to experience life in a much more open way. So actually yeah. it, it frees me more and I'm, I don't need to have the defiancy <laughs> with yes. this, this, you know, this child. I can just experience life and be in joy with it.
1: Absolutely.
0: So I just yeah I want to say thank you so so much for for doing this podcast I have actually you know really enjoyed it even though I was quite scared of it because I was it meant then that I needed to be a little bit more vulnerable about my core issues uh, if you like or you know I, I use issues as language around that they're not issues they're my experiences and my uh, and my recovery pro you know my recovery path um, but yeah, it's been I've really enjoyed it and I and I feel that you know there are going to be people out there that really relate to this as well. So yeah, so I just want to say that um you know for anybody who is listening, I will be linking Hillary's um uh, website link on the podcast on the description underneath. So please click on that and, and have a look and if you're interested in her work. Um, But, yeah, thank you so much, Hilary, for joining me. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Estella. It's been an absolute privilege. Thank you for asking me, and I've enjoyed talking to you today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that to continue to keep up to date with what the conscious body community are up to uh, you can connect through the online platform which is a safe container you request to join there are a few suggestions which is just to follow some simple rules of love and kindness equality supporting others community and unity this is just so we can keep the container safe for you to share with your other conscious bodies. You can also find out about up-and-coming retreats, events and workshops at consciousbodycommunity.com. If you like the content you are receiving and to continue to support our mission, which is ultimately to provide resources into our communities and to help educate those that need it, you can make a monthly or one-off donation through our donate button on consciousbodycommunity.com. We appreciate your support.